All right, starting off this morning, where are my middle school boys at? Middle school boys? Yep. All right. So my favorite time in youth ministry was middle school, uh, not personally being a youth pastor of middle school boys. Uh, it was the best, simply because um, you could get middle school boys to do just about anything. And it was awesome because as leaders, we did just about anything. And there was always that phrase that always got one-upped on every retreat, on every event, on everything that we did, mission trips even better. That phrase always became, prove it, right? And so this was everything from slug wars, which was basically like zipping yourself up in a big sleeping bag and then just battling each other on, like in sleeping bags and it, it looked like slugs. It was awesome. To uh, what they would eat, to what they would uh, dress in, to what they would do, to ask a girl out. You won't ask her out at the retreat. I'll do it. I'll do it. Prove it. Okay. Nope. And they don't do it. It's the best. It's so good. And they have to come back and the walk of shame back to their friends. It's the best. It's the best. It's the best. And um, one of the, in particular, prove it moments was more or less, wasn't so much like a challenge. It was actually something that always happened on Bride's Home in vans. And we had the 15 passenger vans. And this was like my first youth group. And we were coming back from a retreat or an event or something. And I told these kids, like middle school, it, it, all full middle schoolers, which is awesome. And uh, I told them probably six times, are you, you got to put your seatbelt on? Is your seatbelt on? Are your seatbelts on? Seatbelts on all the time. And the answer from unanimously from the back of the van to the front of the van is always what? Yep, absolutely. Got our seatbelts on. And I could look in my mirror and I could see the whole front row, no seatbelts, zip. And I said, are you sure you have seatbelts on? Yes, stop it. You're being annoying. And so as we're pulling onto the intersection off 77, I decide we're going to prove it. And uh, as I cough at the exit, this youth pastor slams the brakes on, right? Because I'm like, they say they got seatbelts. Let's just prove it. I slam the brakes on. No lie. Kid in the middle seat, middle schooler to this day, flew from the seat into the dash and crumpled beside me. And he's like, boom, 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 boom. And every kid's in the, in the van's like, oh. And as the youth pastor, right, my compassion level was zero. And I'm like, see, you didn't have your seatbelt on, right? And it was, I could have I should have been sued many, many times in youth ministry as I think about my career in youth ministry. However, that prove it moment was very, very, I don't recommend it. It was very, very bad. I didn't expect him to fly forward, to be honest. I just thought like it would just be a little joke and a little tap. The kid literally somersaulted into the front dash. And I was like, oh man, checking for bruises. Explain that to the parents when I got home. Uh, he fell. Um, <laughs> Into your dash? Yeah, weird. Um, but that phrase, prove it, right, is, is something that's kind of ingrained in middle school. It's, it's the best to rise to the top of the level. But this morning, as we talk about the phrase, prove it, it's, it's not only true in middle school, it's, it's proof and true of the church in Corinth. They say, prove it all the time, and especially when it comes to this idea of spiritual gifts. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 this morning, a very well-known passage, but we're going to get through that. Like I said, this phrase prove it can be all over the place. Everything from seatbelts to push-ups to, you know, you won't, you won't put that whole bag of big league chew in your mouth. I will prove it. Okay. And then he throws it back up. All those kind of prove it moments are what we're going to be looking at this morning when it comes to these ideas of spiritual gift. In this church in Corinth, spiritual gifts, there was a lot of proving it going on, a lot of this one-upping each other when it came to spiritual gifts. 
And there was a whole lot of egos going on as well. In this church, they were trying to one-up each other in the realm of spiritual gifts. In other words, they were saying, I can speak better tongues than you can. I can have better faith than you could. I have a word from God. Well, I have a better word from God. And it just became this ultimate prove-it game. Like, I serve in children's ministry more than you serve in children's ministry. You should all serve in children's ministry. Just get that out of the way. You're like, why is he wearing that shirt? Just listen to the sermon last week. You'll understand why I'm wearing my shirt. <laughs> Prove it. Prove that you like the children's ministry, Joel. Somebody said this week. Um, so they, there's this whole thing of one-upping each other. And the church in Corinth reversed the importance of love and gifts. In other words, they were so caught up in the gifts that they forgot the love. They said that gifts come before love, and love comes second, and they reversed the order. And, and when you reverse the order of certain things, it gets bad. Here's one of my main points this morning. You're going to be glad you came. Here's a big truth this morning. Grilled cheese only works in the right order. And you're like, oh, that's good, that's good. It's true. Have you ever made grilled cheese before and you forget which side the butter's on and you put the butter on the inside and, the, and there's nothing on the back end and you throw the thing on the thing, on the griddle, and all of a sudden like you get this smell and you're like, why is this burning? And why is this not making sense? And why is my hand all filled with butter because of the way I put it on? When we reverse the order of things, especially when it comes to grilled cheese, it just kind of, things get messy, things get weird. And so when you put that in this scenario, when things aren't in the right order, when it's not where it's supposed to be, things get messy, people get burnt, and that's the scenario we find ourselves here. When we reverse love and gifts, things get messy and people get burnt. That's just the way it is. And I think as we talk about spiritual gifts, we're going to be talking more specifically in prophecy and tongues next week. But if we reverse these, this order as they, did in church, as they did in Corinth, you're going to see that things get messy and ultimately people get burnt in the process. The Corinthians sounded a whole lot like sixth grade boys as they were asking each other to one-up each other. And this morning, I, I, I want us to get it right I want us to get the gifts and the love together in the right order. They were saying that gifts are the proof that we are a mature church. They were saying the gifts are greater than than love is because these gifts are what prove that we love each other. And Paul will tell them, no, 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 love is the proof of a mature church. And he will say to them, we cannot reverse the order. And let's look at one of the most well-known passages in Scripture, um, maybe because you've been to a lot of weddings, but this Scripture in particular is used a ton at weddings. But honestly, it's incomplete context, it's used in spiritual gifts. So just think through that, right? This one major passage we use of love and we, and we quote and put on mugs and shirts and all these things was in the context of spiritual gifts. And Paul is going to remind them that when we reverse love and gifts as proof that God is working in a church, things get messy and people get burnt. Paul had just listed all the gifts and told us the purpose of what was behind them and that we were one big body and the church was probably tracking with Paul and agreeing with him. And then Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1, 2, and 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have a prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. 
If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Those in the church would have said, prove it, and they would have continually tried to prove it through their gifts, that we are a spirit-filled church because we speak in tongues and prophecy and faith and works and miracles. And Paul says, those aren't the proof. The proof is in love. So let's just kind of take these apart one by one real quick, and we look at this passage. So first he talks about tongues of men and of angels. Speaking in another language, another dialect, and we're going to get into more of this next week. And this idea that there was, uh, when we talk about tongues of men, we think of a known language that was communicated and was brought into the church in Acts chapter 2. And it was this known language that was able to be interpreted by an interpreter and then given out for the benefit and the good of the body of the church. When it speaks of dialect of angels, we're going to get into that next week. And some believe that this is a prayer language that you can have with God that is speaking a dialect that is not here but is heavenly and can have an important role in your prayer life. And both of these were probably going on in the early church in Corinth, and a lot of these were happening in the service. And he says there was this big competition that was happening in the church, and everybody was talking in tongues and dialects, and it was this loud, kind of confusing kind of time that everybody's just speaking in tongues, and everybody's having something that's a word of God to say. And, and as they're doing it, it just sounds like it's reverberating off. And, and if it's done well, well, it says it's for the glory of God and the good of the church, but when it's not done well, it's like a clanging cymbal. And I was going to do that, but I'm not going to do that today. Um, it's like this loud, annoying, just crashing and crashing and crashing of cymbals that we just can't take anymore. And he says, if that's, if, if tongues is that without love, or tongues without love is that. We were at um, Wasabi this weekend for our, our oldest birthday, and the gong, they came out with the gong for the birthday thing, and that thing just resonates. If you've been there before, it just resonates through the entire thing. You're trying to have a conversation. You're like, hey, I was gong. I was going to gong. You're like, oh, my gosh. And it's really funny, except for like the sixth time or the eighth time. You're like, okay, we get it. It's our birthday. Go back. And the same kind of noise can happen here in the church if we don't see tongues as a love first for people. And that's huge. And then he says, um, not only that, but then he goes into, into verse 2, prophetic powers, mysteries, and knowledge. Prophecy would be that of a direct revelation from God. It's actually this gift of prophecy we're going to look at next week is actually one of Paul's favorites. It's funny. He brings it up so often and that we can't kind of neglect it. We've got to talk about it next week, and so you come back for that. But they understood, and, and so they would say, well, I've got a word from God, and my word from God is better than your word from God. Well, well, my word from God is better than your word from God. And it'd be like, if you use this in middle school, like the immature way, it'd be like, I have a word from God that we're supposed to date, right? <laughs> and the immaturity would say, on the other side, well, I got a word from God that it's an absolute no pass, right? And this kind of thing went back and forth in the early church, and it sounds funny, but honestly, that can get really dangerous, and it can get really, really, um, what did I say, messy, and, and people get burnt. That can happen if it's not done in love and if it's not checked by Scripture. We're going to talk about that next week. But prophecy was all over the church, and people were saying, I got a word from God. Well, I got a word from God, and it started to divide them into factions in the church. And if we're not careful, it's not really helpful. It's not proof that God is working. Proof is love. And then he says the third one, if I have faith that moves mountains, powerful faith, not just, this isn't just saving faith. This is powerful faith. This is the, the people that I envy in church world that have the gift of faith. Man, I just, I wish I had. I don't have the gift of faith like some people do. Like they could just believe God is going to do some crazy, powerful things. And you watch and it happens and you're like, wow, wow. 
because they just trust him so much and they have that faith. And there's a few of you here that you have that gift. And every time you're exercising it, I just stand back and I'm like, all right, I don't believe you, but great. <laughs> and it's so bad, it's on me that I don't believe you. Why? Why? Because I'm skeptical. But the gift of faith moves that skepticism and says, you're, you're not trusting God. You're not truly putting your faith in him. And that gift of faith, if it's exercised well in the church, should motivate the entire church to trust him for some big things. To silence the skeptics in the room and to say, man, God could really do some big things here. You just, you just got to trust him. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. I love people of big faith. I love hanging out with them. It just, it's, it's good. But he, he says, if, if it's just faith without love, it's not real gifts. Because love is the proof. Notice the words Paul's using here. I love this. In these first three verses, do you notice he's changed the word we, your, our gifts to everything you're going to see in chapter 13 predominantly is the word what? I, me, my. So Paul's coming into this and he's saying, hey, here's your example. I'm your example. As your pastor planter, I will be your example. And I love this. He says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, and if not, and if have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. This is the pastor speaking to the congregation. This is me. This is my, my cross to bear. I got to be in this. And he says, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all ministry, mis- mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Verse 3, if I give away all I have and if I deliver my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. You could just circle highlight how many times he says the word I, me. This is Paul saying, guys, I want you to understand this, and it's so important to me. I'm going to throw myself into the equation and say, I, as your pastor, he says, I will mess this up, and I could very easily mess this up. And if I don't have love, then I am nothing. And to you, I would say the same. As your pastor, it's a heavy weight and call to be an elder pastor of any church. But to put that out in front of you guys to say, if I don't have love in handling these gifts, I could be guilty of a noisy symbol, a clanging gong, whatever it is. And I could, I could be that. I could, I could be this thing of not having love and become nothing and give away all I have and still gain nothing. And here's the other thing. I love that he says that love is not only the thing that is, is to be done in the right order. He says love covers everything. Highlight circle in your notes how many times he actually uses the word all and he uses the word nothing. Isn't that amazing? He says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, and if I have all knowledge, that's on purpose, okay? He says, I'm going to cover the gamut any kind of knowledge out there, any kind of mysteries that aren't explained, if I have all mysteries, all knowledge, and if I have all faith, man, what if, ooh, what if, what if you had all faith? That whatever God said, you did. Whatever God promised, you believed. Whatever God put in and says, this is what's going to happen, you did. Even if I had all faith, he says, but if I don't have love, I am nothing. Not I have nothing. I am nothing. You see, there's a personal attachment to the gifts. It's not just the gifts are working in a church. You can see that anywhere. But he says, this is different. This is a body of believers that aren't just doing the gift. They are the gift. Does that make sense? I am nothing. 
I'm a personal relationship with you in this thing, and I can be nothing. These are big, big words from Paul here. I am nothing. Gifts are not your identity. Gifts are not my identity. I think we can get so caught up in gifts and the debate on on miraculous and non-miraculous that we can almost make them our identity. And he says, gifts should not be what define you. We shouldn't walk into the church and be like, what's your gift? 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 And we just kind of separate you out. Okay, everybody with faith over here. Everybody with miracles over here. Everybody with tongues over there. Everybody with helps over here. And we don't separate them out because he says, we are not identified by our gifts. Love is our identity. And love is what we should be known for. A spirit-filled church is not that we just do stuff, right? It's not just that we are, 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 are exercising gifts. It's that we are truly loving each other. Because Paul will answer the second here comment or, or concern in the church. And they says, well, maybe spirit-filled churches that we do stuff, we give stuff, we serve, we, we, we use our gifts of help, service, and administration, because that's how we should be known. Maybe we're just a really giving church. Well, Paul in verse 3 says to that, if I give away all I have, I deliver my body to be burned. If I have not love, I gain nothing. Give all I have. Offer my body. And Paul's body had gone through a lot. Big, big words from Paul here. He says, I gain nothing if that is the case. So, gifts are not purely our benefit. They are not the main proof. Love is the gain for us. Love is the benefit for us. And Paul says, stop being selfish in the gifts and puffing yourself up in your identity and value in the gifts. Instead, use them for the body of church. Proof that God, that church is spirit-filled is that it loves and loves through the gifts. That makes sense? So I had a, when we first opened up the doors here in January, somebody came through the doors and I had just said hello. And I said, hey, I'm, I'm Joel. What's your name? And she didn't give me her name. Her first question out of her mouth as she came in the doors, God bless her. She said, are you a spirit-filled church? I said, what do you, what, hi. And she said, are you a spirit-filled church? Do you have the spirit filling here? And I said, I have the spirit. Do you have the spirit? You. It was a weird, it was a weird, it was a weird, sorry. It was a weird, it was a weird exchange because I didn't really know what she meant. Because I think she kind of meant like, do you exercise all the gifts? Which I would say, that, that's a question for next week, but, but I think it kind of came off kind of weird, right? Like, are you a spiritual church? Because I've got to, I got to know that you're spirit-filled. And if it's just the gifts, that's not proof of. Instead, it's the love that's exercised through the gifts. And, and when you get them reversed, just like it's the prove-it moment, it was a prove-it moment in the lobby, and it became awkward. And I tried to talk with her and kind of have another conversation, and it, it just kind of just felt hard and, and strong and and we couldn't break through the love conversation. Whereas I have a conversation with other people in our church before, and it's magnificent because we, we love each other, and we can debate, and we can disagree, and we can talk through these issues. But if we don't have love, then we don't have anything. And it just becomes a topic to debate. And it doesn't become a love for the person in front of me. And I felt bad because she, she never came back and it was this hard kind of leaving and it was just kind of like, you just felt like, ah, I, just, I just wish you could hear the, the love side of this. And I think that's what happened in the early church is I think people probably came in and, and they probably felt overwhelmed by the, the division that was happening. And 
And so Paul says, that, that's not what I want you to understand. I want you to understand that it's love. And so let me give you what Paul here then defines as love, because we can define it a bunch of different ways, but we need the Bible to define what love is. And you've probably heard this a lot, but let me just give you the list of 15 different things that Paul packs into three verses. Don't you love Paul? Like 15 different terms to dissect in the original Greek uh, in three verses. You ready? We're going to die. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do anything. You're like, 15? We're going to hit all 15? No. Um, but there are 15 different loves that he gives. He says, love is patient, verse 4. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love, I love this, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. For the sake of time this morning, let me just highlight three of these that I feel will be powerful today and how they work with the gifts. So let's kind of put them in the right order. Love through gifts. Let me just give you a couple examples this morning because we don't have time to hit through all of them. But let's just hit on number one of these is don't insist. Love does not insist on its own way. Love doesn't insist on its own way. And we get this wrong all the time, just in regular life, let alone with the gifts. So let me just give you two. So there's two gifts uh, that are mentioned in the list, faith and administration, right? Now, somebody has once described this as faith is the gas and administration is the brake, right? Faith is like, let's just go big. Let's do it. Let's trust God. Let's just go. Let's just conquer the world and we're going to make it happen because God's given me faith to do it. And then the administration gift comes beside the faith gift and says what? How? <laughs> That's great. That's fantastic. Let's, let's think steps. How's that going to work? And here's the thing, those could really be opposite each other, correct? Like, you could really get irritated by that. Like, no, you don't believe me. I, God gave me a word from God, and I've got faith, and it's going to get through, and you got to just trust me. We're going to make it happen. And on the other side, they're frustrated because you're not being heard, and you're like, but, but God's given me the gift of administration to help you make sense of that so that there's steps in progress to make this happen, and you're not listening to me. This is kind of, um, I mean, not to pick on myself again or our marriage, but I feel like that's kind of us. Like, I'm the gas, and, and not negatively, baby, but you're the brake, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to be wearing next week, but <laughs> just keep this train rolling. But, but, it's, but it's so good. If it was just the gas, Oh, we'd be in so much trouble. We'd be in so much debt. We'd be in so, I mean, it would be bad. I mean, really, really, really bad, really bad. And I need my wife beside me to be like, yeah, babe, I get that. But breaks, let's just kind of think steps, right? But we could do it tomorrow. We could, or this is a three-year project. Let's start on day one, right? So, so faith, administration, when worked together in love are beautiful, but they're different, correct? I mean, they're very different in how they work out. But God said, I need both in the church. Because if it's just a bunch of faith people, big things are going to be believed, but they're probably not going to happen too quickly. And if it's just a bunch of administration people, it's going to be the most boring, not boring, see now... <laughs> See, this is not helpful. <sighs> Thank you. Morning online. We need both. We need both. 
Because if it's a gift that I don't have, it doesn't mean that it's not important. And I need both in the church body to function well. Because as we live out, love doesn't insist on its own way. I can believe in faith things are going to happen. And I can also not insist on it being the only way because of the administration in others. Let me give you another one. Does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices in truth. Okay? Does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices in truth. This can get really weird in the gift of teaching and in the gift of distinguishing of spirits, right? If, if it's always looking under every corner for an evil spirit and, and we start to teach that way, that could get really messy in somebody who's really trying to understand, though, what the spirit world is actually communicating and saying in that sense. So evil is spiritual, and, 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 and it means spiritual. There's a whole realm of demons, angels, and supernatural and, and in that thing of supernatural things we don't see, when we put love in the middle of two of those things, differing from the teaching of and distinguishing of spirits, it can motivate and move the church to, one, healthy teaching and also healthy distinguishing of truly what is happening in the realm of what God is doing in the supernatural gifts of teaching and distinguishing spirits can, can move in that realm. And we talk about rejo- love doesn't rejoice in evil, but rejoices in truth. Because both teaching and distinguishing of spirits can come together in love and say, well, I think it's this, or I think it's this, I want to communicate this, or, I think it's this, and come together and, and instead and say, no, 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 it's about love and it's about truth. So let's go to the Word of God, let's see what the Word of God says about it, and then we'll move forward in it together in love. Last one, let me give you this. Bears all things. I love this verb. This is one of the ones I loved. I just kept circling and going back to in my study. I just, I just loved what God says through Paul in this. Love bears all things. Bears all things in the, in the Greek is this word that means roof and structure and meant to take the weight. I love that. True love is meant to bear the weight of every injustice put upon you. Bearing love is strong and resilient. It takes the hurts and the pain and the words and the slander that somebody puts on you and in love says, I will bear it in love. I will be able to take the weight personally. Now throw that into the body of the church. Let's say there's some of you in the church and you've had a really hard week and, and you've had a lot of people come against you and you've had a lot of hard things said about you and you come into the church and people who are using their gifts in love become a bearing of weight over you. How cool is that? That you have people that would bear the weight of those things with you as we talked about even in community groups. Bears all things is the thread through our faith gift, gift, as well as it bears all things is the thread through our helps gift as well. Bears all things is that weight, that strength that is practical enough to go the emotional, conversational belief side of faith. And it's strong enough, resilient enough, and practical enough to go into the helps category as well. To say, I will bear all things by serving you. Does that make sense? So it's not just words, it's also actions. And we see that in the church, these things work together. All of that because love is better because love is eternal. Let me kind of finish out a couple of things here. And then um, we want to take communion together this morning when we talk about love. But let me kind of finish out here because he says that love in verse 8 and 9 never ends. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will, cease, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. 
But when the perfect comes, verse 10, the partial will pass away. This is probably the most debated passage uh, in, in the New Testament when it comes to spiritual gifts. We're going to talk about that next week. But what is that word perfect? What does it mean that it will, uh, that, that partial is going to pass away and the perfect comes? What is the perfect? We're going to talk about that next week. And also we're going to talk about that more even in the gifts class. Again, October 25th, gifts class right after church. There's a sign up in the back just as a side note for that. But here's what he's saying. Love is eternal. Love will never end. Love will not have an expiration date on it. Think of that thing in your house that you've moved around 50,000 different times and you've held on to it for 20 years and, and you should have gotten rid of it two, year, two years in, but you still hold on to it and it's still around. It's kind of useless, but you have it in the house and it's there. He says, don't let love become that thing because love is eternal. It will always be useful. It will always be helpful. Okay? And lastly, he says this in 11 and 12, love is more mature. Love is the mature thing when gifts can sometimes become immature. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. He says, when um, love is at its best and when we reach eternity even, we will be fully known, we will be fully alive. But as we grow through this life, we are to grow in our maturity and giving up childish ways. I love in verse 12, here's a little Easter egg for you. That word mirror dimly uh, was actually important in this church in Corinth because in that city of Corinth, there was a lot of mirrors that were produced in uh, the church in Cor- or in that city of Corinth and they were kind of the bronze ones and they were all glazed over and you really couldn't see too well. And just because of the material they were using. And so Paul throws that in here as an Easter egg to say, hey, just, just like the mirrors you have around you, they are not full representations. They are, they, are, they are dim, but soon we will see face-to-face as we are with God. Proof of a Spirit-filled church is a Spirit-filled person who loves one another. And our greatest example is the one who gave us the gifts. And when we overemphasize the gifts, we can miss the giver. God is saying, I am the gift. I work through the gifts. And if you want proof that you are a spirit-filled church, love will be seen. The kind of love that Jesus displayed on the cross for us on our behalf. This is so important that he says in 1313, so now faith, hope, and love, I love this word, abide, remain, steadfast. Think of John 15, and he asks us to abide in Christ. Faith, hope, and love will abide. That means, that means they're not just here. They are continually with us. And the greatest of these is love. This list of love that he gives us in verses 4 through 7, would it, wouldn't it be really more, pers- more personal if we actually put our name to it? So let me just, just show you an example of this. Um, when we think of these, these words and these, these verses, it says, love is patient and love is kind. What if we took out love and actually put my name in and I can actually put myself as the example? Joel is patient and kind. And even as I say it, I'm like, hmm, depends on the day, right? Today, maybe. Love is patient and kind. Joel is patient and kind. And then to ask those around you, those you work with, those that are they're most surrounded by you, is this true of me? Love does not envy or boast. Joel doesn't envy or boast. Joel is not arrogant or rude. I wish that was true at times. 
But honestly, there are certain moments, you know, where you catch it and you're like, man, that is not me. How do I become more loving? Next one. This is, this is I love this one. Joel uh, does not insist on his own way, is not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice at wrongdoing. We as a nation are at a really weird spot, aren't we? That we've almost rejoiced at wrongdoing more often than we rejoice in the good that's happening in our world. Joel does not insist on his own way. Joel, he says, uh, he goes on, he says, uh, resists, uh, rejoices with truth or bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Joel bears all things. Joel believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Is that true for you? Could you put your name there and say, yeah, that's, that's, that's true for me. Or are there a couple in there you say, you know what? That's not, but I would love it to be true of me. Because ultimately, this list isn't truly, when we break it all down and when we come to the communion table, this is not all about you or all about me. The reality is this is all about Jesus. This is all about the one who gives us the gifts to where we can read this scripture and claim it with truth when we read it like this. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. I need that in my life so much to run to the Savior who's not arrogant or rude or, or thinks he's just condemning you for, for, for your last mistake. He's, he's, he's patient. He is kind. Moving on, Jesus is there and does not insist on his own way. Look at the cross. He does not insist on his own way. He says, I will serve. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing. He is hurt at the core of the injustices around us. He is hurt at the core for these things that are happening. Jesus rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things. Jesus believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. And Jesus endures all things. And therefore, we can come to the table and say, thank you for being the one who can. Help me be the one who can do it as well for the good and the body of believers that I am in. Jesus is all that we need. Jesus is the one who gives the gifts, and he's the one to enable them in love.